being served on the board of NCS, I serve on that board and have for some time. We pray for you guys. We pray chapter by chapter. You know, when we get to this chapter, a lot of good things. Uh, this chapter's been going and going strong for I don't know how many years. So uh, praise God for your, your faithfulness. I've had many chances, um, thank the good Lord, to share with this group. I've shared my testimony. I've shared uh, uh, things about life, um, uh, losing my job in 2012 for sharing my faith. Um, John mentioned you what I do for a living. Uh, I mentioned the important part. Philo Any questions? <laughs> I've been at it for 40 years and haven't figured it out yet. So if you figure out how to buy a little and sell, how can you get a call? Would you? When I talked to John about what you were going to talk about, we, we settled on uh, the, the, the subject of stewardship and generosity. Um, this may sound a little like a sermon. I hope that's okay, but I'm going to share principles from God's Word. I want to share obstacles that I've seen over the years. I'm going to give you some personal examples and leave some time for comments and, and questions. I'm going to start with God's Word, um, the, the parable of the talents. I like to prefer to call it the parable of the bags of gold in some translations. Use it that way. You've heard this before, but please allow me. <clears throat> it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. So also with the one that had two bags of gold, he gained two more. But the man who received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who received five bags of gold brought another five. Master, <clears throat> you said you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came and said, Master, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Notice the pattern. X bags, X bags more. Doesn't matter if it's 100 bags or one bag. In this case, five and two. Remember, God gave, what does it say up front? According to ability. The man with the one bag of gold came and said, Master, I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, I have here what belongs to you. The master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that I had returned I would have received it back with interest. So take this bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. God has given us stuff. Yeah, I'm going to talk mostly about money, but all this can be applied to all the other things God's given us. Time. What do you do with 
time? What do you do with your free time? God has given us a body. Are we taking care of our bodies? They're not ours. They're on loan. All these things are on loan from the Lord. None of these are ours. Our money is not ours. It's God's. Our brains. What are we doing with our brains? <clears throat> are we letting them atrophy? Are we trying to do things for people? Relationships. Well, look around this room. You've got some friends here. Many of you have families. What are we doing with those things? I love the fact that God has given everybody 24 hours a day. But when it comes to money, depending on what you do for a living, if you're working, different amounts each day. When I get to heaven, I go, what would what, what, what you have in mind? Everybody gets the same amount of time, a different amount of money. I'm, I'm sure he had some purposes there. <clears throat> what did Jesus do when he was on earth with his time? It's a pretty good example for us, is it not? How we're using what God has given us says a lot about what we think about God. You know, I say to people, if my money was really my money, who cares what I do with it? But if it's God's money, all of a sudden, now we have an incredible opportunity and responsibility to do good things with it. It's interesting that and there's so many things we get out of this parable, time isn't permitted to go into a whole lot. Uh, but to the guy who got five, five, he gave five more. The guy who gave two, two more. The guy that won, one, he wasn't very happy with him. Some people think on this earth, earth, if we don't do bad things, God's going to be happy with us. Oh, no, no, no. What this parable says is you can't just not do bad things. You need to do good things. Now, I'm not talking about salvation. Let me make it really clear. Everything I'm going to say here about, you know, giving and sacrifice and <coughs> generosity and stewardship, it's an outgrowth of our love for the Lord. If you're a child of God, he can't love you any more than humor does right now. No matter how many good or bad things you do, I think you all know that, but it needs to be said. We all want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. If you count your, your red letter Bible, you know, Jesus' words in the red letters, the amount of words related to money and possessions, believe it or not, it's more than the words Jesus spoke when heaven and hell combined. Why? Because he knows money, possessions, have a lot to do with the heart, and therefore we need to hear about it. Oz Guinness says about Americans, we have too much to live with and too little to live for. Kind of sad. <clears throat> giving. Surveys on giving show that Americans are among and near the very top, many years the very top of all countries in terms of giving. We Americans give about 2% of our income. Christians, about two and a quarter percent. There is no statistical difference between two and two and a quarter. Shame on us. I'm not going to tell you how much to give. That's between you and the Lord and your family. <clears throat> but 
In the Old Testament, a tithe was the basic. That was the starting point. Most conversations were, what am I going to do beyond that? And yet, many, most Christians can't even find tithes to the Lord. So I want to talk about three things. As I mentioned already, principles of stewardship, problems or obstacles, and a few personal examples, time permitting. Principles, number one, and you're going to know these, I'm just going to try to reinforce them. Number one, it all belongs to God. <clears throat> a couple of scriptures. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and those who live in it, from the Psalms. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. You are not your own, you were bought with a price, First Corinthians. God owns everything. In the language of my profession, I am simply his money manager. It's his money. Princeton theologian Abraham Kuyper said, there is not a square inch in the whole universe of our existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. He owns it all. John Wesley, <clears throat> uh, you know him as a, um, an evangelist, rode horses and went from town to town to preach. At one point, um, one of his friends came to him on a horse and said, I got bad news, John. Your house has burned to the ground. True story. <clears throat> John said, no, no, that's not, that's not bad news. There's one less thing I have to worry about. <laughs> it's not mine. It's God's. And if he chooses to burn down my house, so be it. I, I would not have that attitude. I don't know about you. Wow. Does that bring the point home? Number two, our hearts go where we put God's money. Where do you put the, your money? Into a house? A second house? A third house? A boat? Fancy cars? I'm not saying anything wrong with any of those things. But how do you use those things? I mean, some of you probably know, too, people who do have a second home, and they're kind of never there because they're always lending it to somebody else, a pastor, a missionary. They can really good use of that stuff. But the more things we have on this planet, the more stuff we have to take care of, and that takes our time and money away from the important things. I have more to say about that in a few minutes. Number three, storing up treasures. The where matters. You all know in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. And that gives all the reasons why. You know, rust, steel, you know, all that good stuff. <clears throat> but he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, but do store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Jesus not against rewards. Just where are we going to put these things? My friend Randy Alcorn, I love the way he puts it. Sharing, uh, sorry, storing up earthly treasures isn't simply wrong. It's just plain stupid. Thank you, Randy. That's very convicting. <clears throat> Where do we store up our treasures? Famous story when John D. Rockefeller died, probably at the time the richest or close to the richest man on the planet. And his accountant was fam famously asked, how much did John D. leave? You probably know the answer. All of it. <laughs> he left all of it. Is there a lesson there? But the store of the things up 
in heaven as opposed to on earth, again, rainy outcome. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Are you sending stuff on ahead, guys? Those were weak jokes earlier. I'm try. I'm try. There's a little story about sending stuff ahead. <clears throat> a wealthy man was on his deathbed. He called his three most trusted friends to his side, his attorney, his doctor, and his preacher. He said to them, I know it. I'm not going to be long for this world. Now, all I have to show for it is money. They always say you can't take it with you, but I'm going to prove them wrong. I'm giving each of you $500,000 in cash in these envelopes. And at my funeral, I want each of you to place it in my coffin right before they close it. They all committed to him. They were going to do that. Sure enough, a few later, days later, the guy died. At the funeral, each of the three friends were the last to come forward and view the old tycoon's body. The doctor stepped forward, placed the envelope in the coffin, left. Then the preacher, then the doctor. After the service was over, the three were off by themselves, and the preacher said, I have something to tell you guys. I have to confess something. That money was going to do no good. It was just going to get buried. We all knew that. And the church really needed some money for an important missions project. So I only put 400000 in the envelope. Took the 100000 and gave it to the missions project. The doctor spoke up. Well, as long as you're admitting it, I may as well tell you too. The hospital is building a new research wing that could save thousands of lives. Our friend's dead. I only put 300000 in the envelope. They both look expectantly at the lawyer. Well, I'm really shocked at both of you. We made a promise to our friend. He trusted us, and you guys let him down. I put a check for all $500,000 in the envelope. <laughs> Thought you might like that little story. <laughs> Jesus does tell, tell us to store up treasures in heaven. And there are lots of ways to do that. Sounds like you guys did that with uh, matching gift recently. Praise God for that. It is not wrong to be motivated by reward. If it were, Jesus wouldn't encourage us to have done that. He wants us to do that. Number four, God prospers us sometimes not to raise our standard of living, but to raise our standard of giving. Why not, particularly for you young guys who are coming up the ladders, set a standard for your life, for living, and when God prospers you, maybe the rest should go to giving. One thing I say about that in the examples of it. Number five, give away as much as you can while you are alive. <clears throat> After you're gone, what are they going to do with it? Well, first of all, Uncle Sam's going to take a piece. All the other ways some of you, I hope, know to avoid that. Uncle Sam does not need a dime of your money. And if he gets it, he'll probably use it for not so good purposes like, you know, interest payment or whatever. So, with these principles, back to the question of how much to give, I'm going to argue that's the wrong question. If it's all God's, the question isn't how much should I give, the question is how much should I keep? And I will tell you, uh, in my life, 
understanding and appropriating that totally changed our giving. Totally. Number two, problems or obstacles. There are long lists here. I only have a few I want to share with you. Number one is the question of how much is enough. Now, I'm in the asset management business, so over the years I've dealt with some very wealthy people, many, many billionaires. And you know, nobody ever asks the question quite like that. But there's always a conversation about that sort of thing. And the answer, crassly, always is a little bit more. If I only had this much, then I could get generous. I hear that from young guys who have this much. I hear that from billionaires who have that much. I just add a little more. I doubt we get to heaven, Jesus is going to say, why didn't you keep more for yourself? Don't think we're going to be asked that question. So spending on excessive things on this planet is really foolish at the end of the day. I mean, think about it. We're on this planet for about this long, and we're in eternity for about this long. You get the point. Why do we spend so much time and money worrying about this when we really should be thinking about this? That applies to all parts of life. How much is enough? We all have blind spots. I get that. I'm sure I do too. The longer I live, the more I realize <clears throat> the Christian life is to be one of simplicity. Now, again, I'm not against if somebody in this room has six homes. I'm not picking on you. Just think how you're using those homes. Obstacle number one, how much is enough? Number two, citizenship perspective. This was also transforming to less than me when we finally realized this is not our home. We're just passing through back to the this and the this. And if we really feel that way, why wouldn't we send our treasures here rather than here? And that's my encouragement to you guys. C.S. Lewis put it this way. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. It's like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't see what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. In other words, C.S. Lewis is saying we are far too easily pleased. I think that's probably right. Perspective. I'm sure you've seen the bumper sticker. Uh, Hugh dies with the most toys wins. You seen that one? <clears throat> I would argue it's he who dies with the most toys dies. <laughs> it's that simple. We leave it all behind. Obstacle number three. Failure to lead a transformed life. My life first is Romans 12 2. Don't be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I would argue, unless we are consciously seeking to have our mind transformed, it will be conformed to the image of this world. And that's getting uglier and uglier as time goes by. I, I remember as a quick aside, when I was a kid, being a Christian was encouraged. 
And then a little later on, I don't know when it was, I woke up and I said, well, you know, now we're being tolerated. Today, you're a Christian? What's wrong with you? You must be a bigot. You must, etc., etc., etc. And so lead transformed lives. And of course, we know how to do that. Be in God's word, pray to the Lord, be with Christians, etc., etc., and practice these things. You know, I wonder on this subject, well, let's, let's go back. Go back 150, 170 years, something like that. Slavery. Well-meaning, Bible-believing, dedicated their lives to the Lord, Christians, had slaves. I think that was a blind spot. I wonder if the Lord tarries 150 years from now, people won't look back and say, you know, do you remember those Americans? How many cars did they have? Those fancy big homes? How could they do those things when there were so many people in need? I don't know. We'll see. Dwight Moody said, let it. God have your life. He can do more with it than you can. How much is enough? Citizenship perspective, failure to leave, lead a transformed lives. Yeah, got a few minutes. A few illustrations. <clears throat> these are just personal examples. I hope there are one or two of these that you can take and say, yeah, and identify and maybe do something different than you've done up until now. My first remembrance of this sort of thing is that I served a daily newspaper from uh, 7th through 12th grade. I don't, I'll never forget, I had two days off, July 4th and Christmas Day. So 363 days a year I deliver papers. My parents forced me to give 10% of what I earned on that little newspaper group to the church. And they actually forced me to put 80% in the bank for college, and that left 10% for me to have a Coke every three months. <laughs> the 10% of the church, I did it. I wasn't very happy about it. There was no joy there. But you know what? I developed a habit. And it was a good habit. And the joy eventually came when I understood the principle. I'm thankful to God for my parents who taught me that. Number two, <clears throat> write a check versus giving a life. This is my wife. Oh, 10, 15 years ago, she said, I'm tired of being a check writer. And she's right. Yeah, God can use our money, but he wants our lives. And so you can't have your life invested in everything you give money to, but some things you can't. My wife spends a lot of time in the Middle East um, helping people see Jesus. Number three, <clears throat> some of us have conspicuous consumption problems. Now, my wife and I, we really never had that. We had an inconspicuous savings problem. I was so busy doing my thing, climbing the ladder, bringing up the kids, and uh, when I lost my job at BlackRock in 2012, we had no idea how much we had. And that became an exercise, began an exercise to say, we've got to give out, not just out of our income, but also our wealth. I'll come back to that as well. As well. Number four, and to show this is not all about money, it's about sharing life. 
some of you on, on financial television from time to time. And around the 87 crash and periods in there, CNBC called, so Bob, would you come on? You're always our first call when things go haywire. I said, why is that? It's because you have a calm about you. And I'm like, oh, interesting. Do you want to know what that calm is about? Yeah, tell me. So I told them where my piece comes from. And they said, well, that's interesting. But please don't share that with you. <laughs> We've got to find ways in our lives to be able to share Jesus and be generous. Two other things. When I became CEO of Merrill Lynch's investment management business, a lot of people came to me with their problems, as those of you who've been CEOs know. And I would pray, Lord, help me have an opportunity to share my faith with Joey or Susie or whoever. And the opportunities never seem to come. And I realized I'm trying to make it this part of life rather than right as center of life. So I did two things that made a huge difference. They were simple. One, when somebody asked me on Monday morning, how was your weekend? I would always tell them about what I did that weekend that was different, unique for the weekend. And I purposed to say, if I did go to church, which I do just about every Sunday, and I went to church. I'll never forget when two Mondays in a row, a guy came to me and said, what did you do this weekend? And I went to church. You went to church? Did you go to church last weekend? Did you go to church every weekend? What a time to share about Jesus. The other thing I purposed was when people came with these problems, as they were leaving, I was saying, I'm going to pray for you. I wrote down and I would pray for them. If they dared come back a second time, I would say, can I pray for you now? Mm. No one ever said no. Not one person. So you see, I'm now able to pray with that fictitious Joey about Jesus right in front of him with his problems. Figure out in your life the warp and woof of things that will share Jesus. Number five, during the pandemic, I was challenged to reread the Synoptic Gospels because I had read them before, but I read them with a new perspective and I discovered, I knew it, but not to the degree, how much Jesus loved the poor. Oh my goodness. The poor in spirit and the poor physically, both. That transformed our giving. We, we tripled the amount of money we gave to, to missions, uh, to rescue missions. What a blessing that's been. Our attitude to the poor is really important. Number six, <clears throat> be practical. My wife and I fight about a lot of things, but I think over the years, the thing we fought about the most is where to give our money. She'd give it all to one or two places, and I'd give it to 100 places. I've never met a mission or an organization or a cause that wasn't good. So we decided, after too many years of not deciding this, she gives 20% away, I give 20% away, and together we give 60%. Figure out what works. Number seven, have some fun in your giving. A few things we've done over time. <clears throat> I remember uh, a friend of ours, daughter, New York City, single, lost her job, hurting for money. We decided to give her $1,000. But instead of sending her a check for $1,000 with our name on it, we took it and divided it into 10. $100 10 times, and we just gave her a coupon to a food store. 
I, to this day, I don't think she knows where the money came from. But we had fun. Figure out what it is. I'm sure some of you have done this, done this too. I remember having a business dinner in a fairly fancy restaurant, and there was a couple celebrating their 10th wedding anniversary from our church. And I knew what they did for a living, and I knew they didn't have any money. So I said to the waiter, give me their check. I don't think they have any idea to this day who paid for their bill, but that was fun for me. One other quick example, we give a little a check to um, uh, a mission I've been part of for a long time to the executive director, and he uses, it's called the contingency fund. So if a missionary from overseas parent dies and I have money to pay for the plane ticket, this little fund can do that. Health emergencies. In fact, he just, just wrote me and said, uh, we're near the end of the year, we'll run out of money. Would you consider an extra $5,000? Sure. So we mailed them $5,000. Find out ways to have fun. Those people don't know who we are, but they write thank you notes to the mission. They get forward to us, and we have the joy and the blessing of reading that. Number eight. Be open to God, the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Example. We were invited to a fundraiser by a couple at our church to their home. And we figured that, you know, it would be 10, 12, 15, I don't know how many people there. We got there, and there were five people there. The couple that owned the home, the president of the mission that was raising the money, and less than me. That was it. So you know this was fundraiser for us. <laughs> Now, we knew the guy, we knew the cause, and it turns out we both had a number in mind that we were thinking about writing that check. We didn't share with each other what that number was. He went through his thing and he challenged us to give a certain amount. It was that exact amount with an extra zero behind it. And the number we had in mind was for us pretty significant. We walked out of there with a Saturday night, I'll never forget it, and uh, looked at each other and what were you, what were you thinking? We shared, we, we had both the same number in mind, no, beforehand, and this again was 10 times. And we said, if by Monday evening, 40 hours, 48 hours later, something doesn't come that says to us, don't do it, we're gonna consider an act of obedience to write that check. Now, I'm not with any of these bragging guys, who <laughs> do this all the time. But that particular time, and the blessings from that gift are still occurring to us. I could take another hour and give you all the blessings that have come from that. So listen to the Holy Spirit. I could go on and on and on. I could explore more, but I just looked at the clock. I want to leave time for questions. So let me just wrap this up with a couple of things. You all know Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Could have started and ended there and asked whether any questions. I often end talks like this with the following. We're all going to die. Many of us will have a tombstone. Mine will say Bob Dahl, 1954-some-date in the future. I hope it's way in the future. But it could be on my ride home back to the office. Don't know. That first date we have no control over. The second day, we have little control over, if anything. But the little dash or the hyphen in the middle, that is God's gift to us. That's our time on this planet. So my question is, in general, what are you doing with that dash, that hyphen? But more particularly, as it relates to generosity and stewardship of, yes, money, but all of life.
Before we open this up, let me pray for us. Amen. Lord God, thanks for uh, this group of men, for their commitment to you, for their desire to live for you. Help all of us, the speaker included, to live lives of generosity, to be good stewards of all you've given us. So, so Father, sometimes we even know the blessings you send our way. So make us aware, make us grateful, and help us to share for your good purposes. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Comments, questions, gents? Could you, could you come out on that uh, 2 Corinthians 9-7? Uh, Each one of us was given his disciples' heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. First of all, what, to what extent do you decide in your heart versus letting your left hand or your right hand is doing? Um, so when does something feel like it's under compulsion? You mentioned your, your mother early on, but as an adult. But, and what for you makes uh, the, the, the giving cheerful? You touched on it, but what... You know, are there, are there any uh, take-homes on what makes something cheerful? Yeah, uh, well, a lot of good questions there. Let me just comment on a couple pieces of it. Um, sometimes when we're, uh, we've committed to something, like over a multi-year period, um, we'll honor that. But I can't say that, you know, in year four, it's necessarily still as cheerful as it was in year one. Uh, but we still do it out of a sense of commitment. Um, and all from the cheer, the joy comes along the way. Um, to another part of your question, the blessing that comes from the giving, you know, sometimes you, you understand where that gift, how that gift's been multiplied or how it's been used. Sometimes you don't. And I, I start by saying a dollar given rather than sitting in my pocket, is a better use of that money and therefore I'm gonna get a big smile on my face. There's a lot of joy with that. But when you get, for example, the contingency fund I talked about, when we get the letters, we weep. You know, they, they, they go on and on, how generous of you to forever, whatever the cause was. And uh, that's joy. And I come back to the parable, the big joy is gonna come you know, when God hopefully says to every one of us, well done, thou good and faithful. So, I didn't answer all your question, I hope that's all. Yeah. We, this time of year, we all get the letters from, you know, every day or whatever. My wife and I debate a lot. Do you give $100 to each one of them, or do you save it and make an impact on a larger game? What's your thinking about that? I think that's, you, first of all, you're right. This is the time of year. My, my assistant's account, I've got 87 calls. Can we have a meeting? And um, once Labor Day comes, I have no more meetings. Um, because I know what it's about. And oh, we already decided if we go or not, not, not. On the question of, now if my wife were answering your question, she said, pick, pick one or two or three that if you really can have an impact and uh, really can see where it's going, go for it. Back to me, we have about 120 different organizations, individuals. My wife would make it, like I said, two or three. If we're up to me, it'd probably be 200. So I don't think there's a right answer to the question. Uh, I do think there is, however, and this is as much from personal experience as scripture, is God wants more in our check. We need to be involved in one, two, three 
organizations in some way beyond just our checkbook, our heart, and our life. Um, can't do that for you know 25 organizations, but you can for a couple. That's helpful. Yes, sir. Yeah, go ahead. Thank you. Um, I just have a question regarding giving. Have you ever received a number that sits so high, but it's also going to get impacted? For example, um, you know, you get a number like $1,000 or whatever it is, and it's just like you're struggling because this is a lot of money, but God told you to give it, and, and, and you, just, you just obey. Have you ever had that issue where it's just the number is very high compared to what you're willing to give? Like, how do you deal with that? Um, <laughs> I, I gave the one example where God, God did put a big number in front of us and we did it and there were huge blessings. There are other times when somebody's asked for a big number and we have zero. Uh, we don't feel it's a backup. We have written out what our money is going for. It doesn't mean we don't deviate that from that sometimes, but you know, we, we've said that at least 80% of our giving is going to go for faith-based causes, and the truth is it's over 90. So we have some standards we've put in place for us, not necessarily right for everybody. So when we filter it through that, often the answer is easy to say, yes, we're going to write the big check, or no, we're not. Um, but that's, you know, they're, they're hard, because usually the ask is for a legitimate cause, and just to figure out, does this fit into what God's laid on, on our hearts in terms of how we're going to be generous. So that's a really individual thing. And don't forget, I should have said this up front, don't forget your local church. That comes first. As much as I love NCS, I say all the time, God established the church. He did not establish parachurch ministries like NCS. It's important and as impactful it is. Start, don't forget your local church. And if you're not in a local church, get in one. Yeah, I'm, um, as Paul said, I'm one of the least of these. But um, thank you for sharing. It was it was very helpful to me. Anyway. Good. Um, just a few things that have been rolling through my brain. And um, one of which is I'm very fortunate. Um, I learned 32 years ago uh, when I joined the church that I'm part of that they they have done what we call a faith promise at the beginning of every single year. And that's how they create the budget. Now this is a church which only has about a thousand members, but this last year the church gave to missions that's local and global uh, more than two and a half million dollars. And um, so why am I sharing that? Because the whole concept of a faith promise, and you don't have to do it with your church, but you can do it with your spouse. And you sit down before the year starts and challenge the Lord to give you a number. And, and it's not a number which you don't think is possible. And watch how God delivers that because he is faithful if you're using it for him. And that is why um, our church has been able to do that. We have one objective 
and that is 100% participation. There's no financial goal or anything like that ever. And every year, the, the giving to missions has, has multiplied. So I just share that because it's helped me tremendously. I come from a Jewish background where you want to keep everything. And, um, and I learned um, many years ago that uh, you can't outgive God. And uh, it was thanks to Dr. Robert Schuler, who was building the Crystal Cathedral at the time, where this Jewish kid heard that, geez, if I buy a couple of windows at the Crystal Cathedral, according to Schuler, I'll be blessed multiple times. And son of a gun, it worked. And that was before I was saved. Anyway, so I hope some of this has been good for folks. Thank you for those additional lessons. I, I just underscore a couple things. One, 100% participation. That is so important. Uh, I know one of the boards that I'm, I'm chair of is a, a, a global mission, and uh, we have uh, people from all over the world on that board. And some people don't have much. And I say, it's got to be 100%, all of you. And if you don't have the money, send me an email. I'll give you the money to give to the organization in your name. So 100% is really important. Two, the missions from the church. I, I hope you guys are part of churches where outreach of all kinds of things, including money, is really high on the list. Otherwise, it becomes so insular. And the third point, out of something you said right up front, I should have said this early on, the poorest guy in this room is in the top 10% of the income in the world. We don't, in this country, many people know what poverty is. Um, and I can give you more statistics on that. So don't don't feel you don't have millions, I can't, therefore, I don't have hundreds of thousands, therefore, I can't. You can give $10 to 10 different organizations, 100 bucks a year, most of you are capable of that, so go for it. I think I see a hook. Guys, all blessings. <laughs>